Hi, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Work With Purpose, a podcast about the Australian public service. My name's David Pembroke. Thanks for joining me. I begin today's podcast by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the land on which we meet today, the Ngunnawal people, and pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging, and acknowledge the ongoing contribution they make to the life of our city and this region. The COVID-19 pandemic has highlighted the importance of being able to find, access, analyse and share trusted and reliable digital information in a timely and responsive manner. My guest today is David Fricker, the Director General of the National Archives and the man charged with responsibility for the integrity and performance of the federal government's information management system. The National Archives, like most of the APS, have been extremely busy during the pandemic. The National Archives ensured that the data collected by the government's COVID safe app is secure and destroyed in accordance with the legislation. The National Archives agreed an approach to managing cross-jurisdictional national cabinet records and worked with government agencies to help ensure that their most important records that documented their response to the COVID-19 pandemic, was captured, secured and held as part of the National Archives archival collection. David Fricker has been the Director General of the Archives since 2012 and like many of his fellow guests on Work With Purpose is an experienced and accomplished public servant who, as it happens, is also currently serving as the President of the International Council on archives. He joins me in the studio. David, welcome to Work With Purpose. Thank you very much. David, one of the most interesting parts of Work With Purpose is to ask guests to go back to March of last year when the pandemic was starting to build, well, probably earlier in the year, starting to build. But then we got to that point of, okay, borders closed, things are happening. Can you take us through your journey of, of when you started understanding what was coming? And what did you do to prepare? Well, it was, uh, I guess, a multi-pronged, you know, response as we started to understand, you know, the gravity of, of this situation and indeed the international uh, aspect of it all. So, first of all, about staff, you know, what, we, what we'll be doing to look after our staff. You now, the archives, we have offices all over Australia. So, in every state and territory jurisdiction, there were different pace of events were unfolding. Uh, and then, you know, through the uh, the Victorian lockdown, of course, our office in Victoria was doing it much tougher uh, than, say, our staff up in Darwin, who were enjoying, you know, very much uninterrupted, you know, life uh, throughout the pandemic, albeit feeling the pressures in other ways. Um, and we also were thinking about the records, you know, what what our responsibilities might be to actually make sure that we were preserving a record of Australia's experience uh, through uh, the pandemic, you know, to, to start thinking early about, okay, this is big, this is a, a pivotal point for Australia in its national history, Australia's history in the world, uh, the, how we relate to um, other nations, etc. And so are we collecting uh, Australia's memory of this that's going to serve us in the future? Uh, and also, you know, we're thinking about, well, looking back, you know, what, what have we learned, what's in the archives that, that we could draw upon to help okay. us face this situation because this is not, you know, it's very familiar and as, you know, the Director General of the Archives, I get very upset with people and they kept on introducing their speech by saying these are unprecedented times. 
Well, they're not unprecedented. <laughs> you know, the bubonic plague, you know, happened. You know, it's just that it's not in our lived uh, experience. And so these are unprecedented in our living memory. But, you know, Australia, if you start going back, we had, you know, we had AIDS. You know, that was a major health uh, challenge that, you know, needed the public policy response to it. It created a lot of uncertainty. Uh, a lot of disruption in Australia. Um, SARS, to some extent, also intersected with international uh, travel and international security, not to the extent that COVID has. But then, of course, you, you eventually get back to the Spanish flu, which was a, a major disruptor. It, it killed, you know, tens of thousands of Australians, tens of millions of people around the world. Um, and, and yet the Spanish flu, we, we remember hardly anything about the Spanish flu. We remember, you know, it's coincident with the First World War. And while we have, feels like we've recorded every bullet fired in, in the First World War, um, we remember almost nothing about our experience with the Spanish flu. Even though the borders in Australia closed, even though there were public debates about should we wear a mask, you know, um, there was arguments about um, what sort of medication, you know, how much we could trust there never was a vaccine, but, you know, there was many, many treatments um, discussed back in the day. And so it was, all of these things were going on around us as the archives about, well, how can we use memory to help us confront this situation and come up with informed policy responses? Um, and, you know, how are we going to deal with the public through this? You know, our public services are quite disrupted, but when I can expand more on that, I suppose, how are we going to continue to deliver essential services? Uh, and, of course, looking ahead you know, let's, let's not repeat the mistakes of the past. Can we make sure that while we're in the middle of this thing, while we are all running in a hundred different directions at once, while we're turning the, the model of the public service on its head, you know, and surging resources here, mobilising ourselves in new ways, standing up a national cabinet, all sorts of new things were going on. But let's remember we're making history while we're doing this. And our legacy is going to be what Australia remembers about this, because there will be another pandemic and we'd better be ready for it next time. So it's a lovely notion, isn't it? Re relying on the memory of the country in order to, to make best decisions. So how did you go about doing that? How did you go about assembling those insights and distributing those insights to the right people so as that it, it had an impact? Well, uh, well, the main thing was, uh, was through early... Um, uh, well, not quite an intervention, but early uh, uh, instructions to all departmental heads and, and secretary heads. And laying it out was just a letter to, uh, to accountable authorities across the public service. Um, just, I suppose, reciting those things I just went through, that, um, you know, in, in times of crisis, the, the need to maintain our collective memory in Australia is more important than ever. You know, the thing about, you know, archives, records, record-keeping... As a 21st century public servant, you know, we think, OK, my, my work is digital, you know, we're in the moment, we're all about being disruptive and innovative, and of course we are, and record-keeping can sound a bit, you know, unfashionable, you know, that's the sort of thing you used to do on a Friday afternoon, you know, when you'd finished your real work. Uh, but of course the, the difference is in the digital world, uh, you can't help but make records, it's, a, it's a baked in to everything we do, but it still requires deliberate action and it still requires professionalism and it requires a public servant to understand his or her uh, value to Australia in as much the transaction I'm performing for that Australian resident citizen today, but the value I'm creating is the memory of this, is the record. 
is, is our corporate knowledge, our collective memory, etc. Because at the end of the day, you know, we build roads and bridges and, you know, schools, etc. But the, the, for most public servants, the real value is the records that they leave behind uh, for the next, the next time Australia has to face this same challenge. And what sort of response did you get to your letter? To, no, look, to it's very secretaries. No, no, it was uh, it was a very positive response. I think people understood. You know, public servants do understand that we, you know, at times like this, we make history. You know, we we are of course serving the Australian public, um, but but we are the Australian government. You know, we we are the executive. We we make history. You know, it's you know, history is not just made on battlefields and. Um, uh, in science labs, it's also made in public administration because what builds a country is a product of its government, you know, of its public administration. And I got a very good response. I got a very positive response um, to that. And it, it really resonated, I think, with um, public servants' understanding of their professional um, obligations, but also that legacy, you know, the value we create. Mm. Uh, so it was quite gratifying in that in that regard. So interesting around that professional obligation, but because it was a crisis, mm. some of the the rules and decision making changed, yeah. and so we went to a sort of principles based decision making as opposed to following yeah. the the black letter yeah. of a of a process. How does that change record keeping when you're suddenly working to a a different tempo, a different rhythm, a different decision making framework? Yeah. Well, this is where values and culture, you know, become very, very important. You know, it's uh, you're right. You know, we don't reach for a playbook every ten minutes and figure out what, you know, what the standard operating procedure tells me I should do now at a time like this because there is no, there's no book. So it comes down to value. Um, you know, our public service values. You know, we are accountable. You know, we maintain integrity. We are impartial, um, and you know, it's just all of those values are baked into what we do, and therefore. Uh, it becomes second nature to ensure that what I am doing is accountable, that if I'm doing something new, if I'm doing something quite novel, then it's, it's vitally important that I communicate that to my peers, to my organisation, to my um, our collaborators. Um, the more that we, we, we work in policy hubs, you know, across traditional silos of departmental structures and agencies, etc., becomes very important to be able to communicate precisely what we are doing mm. in very concise, effective ways. Well, that's record keeping. You know, this is just what we are doing to lay a very clear trail of the decisions we've taken and the changes we've made. Um, also, the, you know, you mentioned in your introduction there the, uh, the, the changes in uh, federal, you know, state relations mm. also became very important as well. Um, and it was... We were um, stretching some of the... Um, preconceived ideas about um, information policy as it applies. So within the Commonwealth, you know, we're normally just very accustomed to working with Commonwealth information, Commonwealth rules apply. Yeah. But you stand up a national cabinet and you have premiers, you know, prime minister, premiers, uh, chief ministers in the room, uh, all part of that same organ of government, but each responsible and accountable to their own jurisdictions under their own laws as, as it applies to information management. Um, and so that was where we needed to step in very quickly and work with our, our colleagues state in Prime Minister and Cabinet and, and our state jurisdictions yeah. and just make sure that uh, there was that clear understanding and we could continue not to interrupt, not to slow down anything, but to pave the way for smooth, fast, effective government by just recognising those information policy issues and just, you know, 
knocking, not knocking them over, but just clarifying them. Mm. And you could, you know, if you're pragmatic and you're values-based and you've got a good information culture, well, then information solves problems. It never, it never stands in the way. And so how did it hold, hold up, that, that relationship with the states, but also inside the, the federal government? How, you know, if you were to give us a score out of 10, how, how, how did it go? Um, look, it's... Uh, it, the score out of 10, that's a good question to ask. <laughs> I don't want to overrate anything. Well, I think the, the, the states... It's been very good, you know, very cooperative. Yeah. Um, uh, so with the COVID Safe app, for example, that moved very, very quickly in terms of um, the, the health minister making a statement about this data will be collected for this specific purpose. It will be destroyed once the pandemic is finished, and and that is the case. But that's where it, it is resident in a Commonwealth data, you know, warehouse, a data holding, data store. Uh, but, of course, if a, if a case does break out and a state jurisdiction has to download that data to do case management, it kicks into their accountability framework. Um, and I, I would say that those sort of arrangements are 10 out of 10 because everybody across the states, territories and the Commonwealth are on the same page in terms of privacy, accountability, integrity. And, and we should get on to the, the um, phenomenon of disinformation, misinformation, which becomes so pronounced during a pandemic. We're all on this campaign against disinformation. And so none of us wanted to do anything that was going to add to the uncertainty and confusion being felt by the Australian public in whatever jurisdiction they were and whether they were receiving a Commonwealth service or a state service or a local council service. Mm. Um, so that all worked really well. You know, as to the, um, uh, the pace of, uh, of, you know, maintaining our collective memory in Australia through the, the maintenance of, of records, I think... I would say that did not uh, decrease uh, during the, the pandemic. We, we continue to have our, our challenges in terms of maintaining or achieving our goals with whole of government records management and information management. One downside of something like a pandemic is that it, um, it can create, if you like, almost a single issue government. And so it does mean that everything you do has to centre around a single issue being the pandemic. Um, in which case it does um, constrain the ability you have to make other innovations which might have given us a higher score in whole-of-government uh, records and information management. So, interestingly, though, um, the archives, like many government institutions, is going through its own transformation yep. and that information management system that you talk about um, mm. was a, a new whole-of-government system that was yep. stood up I think January the 1st, it, yep. it came into being. Yep. Did that help or did it hinder um, your effectiveness? Well, it, it, it helped because that whole... And, and the policy that we've, we've stood up is building trust in the public record. And it, it actually arrived at a very good time when we talk about misinformation, disinformation, and we talk about uncertainty, doubt and disruption in Australian society. Um, it helped because it was all about all of these actions we're, we're putting into this policy, all of these mandatory and these um, recommended um, uh, policy pieces in our building trust in the public record are about building trust, are about creating information that can be trusted, can be trusted by the community that we serve, can be trusted by the people making decisions downstream from you and can be trusted by you when we are you know, facing our challenges and making decisions ahead. 
So that worked really well. The other thing about this policy is it's moved away from a uh, sort of a fixed target. You know, by the 5th of June, you will have achieved, you know, X, yep. Y and Z. And this is a maturity model. This is all about building trust. This is about making a whole range of recommendations and just very few or mandatory requirements. Um, but every government entity uh, can work towards this at their own pace within their own investment program to suit their own um, IT strategy or, or, you know, whatever other strategy, uh, but to always build maturity, to grow and evolve into a, into a very mature information management uh, regime, uh, which does in the end build that interoperability of government information across the Commonwealth and indeed with a, our stakeholders outside of government, uh, and also has got long-term value. So we're building information which will survive generations of technology, will survive machinery of government changes, will survive political cycles, and will continue to grow, evolve, sort of snowball as a true national asset for Australia. So, so it, I think the timing, not that anyone chose the timing mm. of, of COVID by any means, but the timing of introducing that building trust in the public record actually was, uh, was worked out very well. How do we rank globally or internationally around the effectiveness of our information management system? Um, look, I think I would say we're probably up there in the top third. I'd, I'd have no hesitation in saying that. There are some, you know, there are, there are some uh, nation states which are, are so far behind us, which, which do not have a very, uh, you know, reliable um, public record, a very reliable legal regime uh, that guarantees records are made and guarantees records are kept. Um, Australia, I think, is... What, what puts us up in that top third is that um, it, it, it is almost unique in the archives legislation in Australia that makes it uh, an offence to destroy or alter a record without the permission of the National Archives and also which dictates which, in which the National Archives of the nation uh, determines what records will be kept permanently as part of the national collective memory. In most other uh, countries around the world, it are the, the departments and the ministries that create the records themselves determine what should be kept uh, and what can be thrown away and also the ministries determine what should be made publicly available and what should be held back from public view. And I think the Australian system is very strong in this regard because there is a conflict of interest there. And I'd say to all the, the public servants listening to this podcast, we've got to realise, you know, the reason we have this visceral fear of FOI and, uh, and you know, archives uh, is because we have this visceral feeling that if I reveal all the records of what I've done, it's going to expose me, you know, it'll make me more vulnerable, it'll unpick the work I've done. Um, but that simply isn't the case. You know, the Australian system uh, is designed to uh, bolster the integrity of our public administration in Australia for that very reason, that our records do, with the passage of time, I'm talking about 20 years in the case of archives, those records do, for the most part, become publicly available. We are held to account by the Australian public. That's how we build trust. And, and the knowledge that these records of what we're doing, what we have done, the evidence of what we've done, the knowledge that we all know in the public service that they will become publicly available in 20 years, it does actually 
um, add the integrity of what we do. It, it builds transparency and integrity and accountability of government. Um, and it, it makes us a stronger Australian government. You know, and I think this is why Australia does have one of the most successful democracies in the world. It's because one of those foundations of Australian democracy is this transparency and accountability. And it's embedded in the Archives Act. Hmm. Now, interestingly, you mentioned disinformation and, hmm. and misinformation because... That's generally discussed through the lens of, you know, foreign actors trying mm. to Im influence elections. But mm. you've, you're looking at it through the lens of the public servant. So yeah. what's that story? Where, where does the public servant sit mm. as, as, a, as a contributor or as a player, as an actor in the disinformation, misinformation well, narrative? We are a very vitally important actor uh, in this narrative because we are Australia's defence. You know, we, we are the defenders of democracy. We're not, you know, we're not parliamentarians or politicians, but as, as our role within the executive, we are the defenders of democracy. And that is because the information that we're producing, that the quality and the integrity of the services that we deliver are where the Australian public can obtain authentic, reliable, trustworthy information. And where information gets weaponised uh, outside, you know, the, the public service, but where information does become politicised, becomes weaponised uh, in order to pervert public discourse, in order to change, to manipulate public opinion to suit, uh, you know, more nefarious, you know, um, outcomes, uh, that's the, a, a huge role of the public service as a national institution is to make sure that the Australian public, and indeed internationally, but if I talk about the Australian public, is entitled to get authentic, accurate information. And where there is misinformation, where there is disinformation being, being used, um, say in the case of disinformation, to, as I say, pervert public opinion, the public service needs to step into that and needs to say, well, here is the authoritative uh, record, here's the authoritative information. And, and this was, you know, the strength of Brendan Murphy, for example, and, and other health officials at the pandemic. And we've all applauded this in the public service, that this has been one of the, the high points in the public service where we've seen a public official appear as one of the most trusted voices in Australia at a time when Australia needed, needed uh, that, that, that reliable information coming out. And I think all of us in the public service have got that role to play. If we're talking to someone over the counter, over the phone, through, you know, teams or whatever the, the channels are, you know, we are the voice of the Australian government and, and it's our role to make sure that we are, you know, combating the effects of misinformation, disinformation. And we need to be very, very aware there's a lot of information swimming around out there on social media and in various other uh, fora that, that we need to... It's like an infodemic. You know, we talk about pandemics, but no, there's absolutely. an information, you know, infodemic, and we have got to inoculate Australia... Uh, against that infodemic. But that requires um, velocity, that requires decision-making, that requires permissions, yep. that requires, dare I say it, approvals. Yep. Um, how do we get the system to move faster? Yeah. Well, first, though, from where I sit in the National Archives and where we sit in terms of uh, setting the, the policy for how information and, and records in the digital age, so we'll talk about information... So the way we're setting in, um, policies for information that is created to be interoperable, for example, across the whole government, uh, discoverable and usable and reusable, 
So that's the first thing. You've got to have information which is fit for purpose. We need information systems which are fit, fit for purpose. And so when anyone, any public servant at any level is uh, called upon to produce information and, you know, during the pandemic we've seen these cycles become very short. You've got 10 minutes, you know, the meeting starts in 10 minutes. If you take 12 minutes to produce it, it's too late. Um, so, you know, I think it, it does require us to have that um, uh, professionalism in the way that we create, maintain and use information. And then I think you've pointed to some other things. We need those authorities. Uh, we need, in a, in a rapidly changing public service, we need to be certain about our responsibilities but also our authority to, to use that information and, um, and produce it and, and share it uh, when it, it uh, is correct under our, our frameworks but also to serve the public. And, you know, at, at fast-moving times like this, we need to be a fast-moving public service. It's interesting. I had a conversation with someone the other day about a fast-moving public service, and I think that is now almost the standard operating procedure. And there is this sense when yeah. you're going around talking to people in the public service that it's going fast and getting faster. Yeah. And people are... you know racing, I really think, in many ways to try to keep up. And there's increasing demands and pressures and other things. So as someone who sits in a highly responsible position such as yours, in that sort of operating environment, what advice do you have to people to help them to best acquit their roles and responsibilities in this increasingly you know, fast, pressured environment that they're working under at the moment? Well, I think... You've got to know, you know, when you get out of bed in the morning and you, you go to work, wherever that might be, it might be in your, you know, in the <laughs> kitchen right. or it might be, you know, down the road, <laughs> wherever you're going to work, um, you've got to really, you've got to live it. You know, you've got to, all of us need to stand for something in the public service. We've, we've got to go to work with a purpose, dare I use that, uh, that fantastic <laughs> phrase. You've got to, but it, it's true, you've got to work with a purpose. It's yeah. not enough to learn a policy or learn a yeah. procedure and... And we don't go to work to follow rules. And, and we don't go to work to make sure that nothing happens. You know, we go to work with a purpose to make sure that we understand the value that we are creating, the system that we work within, and we don't go to work to make sure nothing happens. We go to work to make sure something happens. And I think we, we just need to keep building that, that confidence in who we are individually, how we work within a team, and to exercise that collective responsibility, you know, if, if, if none of us are working alone, it's very, it's very difficult to make a mistake if, if you're working in a team. You know, mistakes are made usually when you're working alone. And so if we have that team, that, that strength of the team, if we are working with a purpose and if we are really, you know, confident in who we are and what we're doing, then I think that's a huge part of it. Because, you know, when I, and when I say go to work to make sure nothing happens... You know, I think there is, there is still, across the public service, we have to, we have to meet this because we still are a risk averse. Despite all the wonderful things I've said about what the pandemic experience has shown that we can do, we can break out of normal uh, methods of behaviour, etc. But we can't wait for a crisis to show us we're capable of that. We have to start normalising that attitude in our, it's like wartime, you know, you learn how to work during wartime and then during peacetime you try and maintain that. And I think this is part of it. You know, even if there is no crisis, we should be prepared um, to, to be a little bit uh, less fearful uh, about adverse consequences and a bit more courageous about leaning into a problem as a team and getting on with it. Um, 
you know, in information policy, I stu- it still upsets me that I, I see a lot of work that isn't done, a lot of information that is not shared, promulgated, whatever, because we worry about FOI, you know, or we worry about privacy. Now, both FOI and privacy are important, but they exist to enable us to get more done. They, don't, they, they weren't invented to stop us doing things. And, and I think if we were managing our information holdings much more effectively, we wouldn't be so afraid of FOI. You know, we'd actually be proud of what we do, we'd be proud of the record that shows what we did, and we'd be much more prepared uh, when somebody wants to see some information in government, we'd be far more prepared to say, yes, there it is. That demonstrates that we are upholding public service values, that demonstrates that we are working for you, and that demonstrates that we can be trusted. Um, as opposed to a visceral response to FOI, which is to, you know, my God, find every way you can to stop this going out, that just breeds distrust. That breeds, that's fertile ground for misinformation because if we're not providing that information, somebody else will step in and it won't be correct. Mm. And then we're chasing it. You know, from then on we're chasing the issue, not leading the issue. And I, I really think, you know, we, we still have to work on that across the public service to build our, our self-confidence and to, to understand and manage those risks uh, down. So it's almost a... But it's an education piece, though, isn't it? You've yeah. really got to build that in so people understand that this is the, uh, the impact of an action that they take or the, yeah. an, an impact of, a, of an attitude that they may carry. And yep. so, therefore, you, know, you as a leader, mm-hmm. um, as you look forward, how are you going to build that into your well, organisation? So is that they see the importance of it? Well, I think, you know, a lot of us across the public service, are, we're all talking about the future of work, right? You, in, in this, this podcast, been talking about the future of work and what skills are going to take the public service forward. Yep. And it is. It's, I reckon it's, it's where you're going with your question. It's about critical thinking. It's not how good your memory is, that, you know, remembering, um, you know, policy procedure. It's... Uh, although listeners, you know, do... <laughs> I'm not saying go off on a frolic and forget about that. But the, what sets us apart is going to be that critical thinking, you know, the problem-solving and the readiness and the ability to engage with, with new problems and new issues and networking, networking across the traditional silos of the public service and bringing that together. And I think that's, that's the difference. And what I'm trying to do with our building trust in the public record policy is to make sure that everyone in the public service can use government's information assets as an asset, as the fuel that will, that will run that engine of, uh, of government. Final question, um, a personal question to you. How are you different? If you look back and think David Fricker 2020 version, David Fricker 2021, how, are you, how has it changed you? Um, what, just one year? Jeez, I'm not sure. I was hoping you'd go back to when I was 13 years old. I could probably find something there because um, I knew everything when I was 13. Uh, no, but I suppose it's, it's yeah. to recognise the significance of what's taken place and, yeah. and the work that you've just described. There's a, yeah. a lot that's happened. Yeah. What have you, perhaps what have you learnt then? What, what is uh, something look, that you, you know now that you didn't know 12 uh, months ago? Look, I, I do think, you know, it gets back to the discussion we were just having about what we are capable of doing across the public service. And, and my, my issue about nobody comes to work to make sure nothing happens. We all come to work to make sure that change happens. Uh, and I think what we've been through in the last 12 months and uh, just seeing faced with a crisis, right, uh, what we were able to do to push aside so many, you know, preconceptions and things that we would have thought were impossible before, 
um, has really shown me that uh, perhaps we don't need another crisis to keep this level of innovation going, to keep this momentum up. You know, we, we really did break through so many barriers in, in responding to COVID-19. Uh, and that's really, I think, the main thing for me in my position, you know, as, as um, head of the National Archives, is really saying, well, let's keep that momentum keep going. Keep the foot on the accelerator. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And it, it makes us stronger, you know, it, it really does. Well, David Fricker, thank you for your service and the best of luck um, within the information management world. And just maybe one more question sort of globally. Have you got anything uh, looking ahead to 2021? Has this sort of shaken up the information management world globally and are there emerging things that are coming out of that that are different to perhaps here in Australia or is it similar sorts of things around attitude, around skills, around the future of work? Yep. Uh, a couple of things. Rather... rather well, first of all, um, around the, the need for, you know, interoperability and the need for um, information to be much more pluralised, if I can use that word, but also as a, as a vanguard against disinformation, misinformation. Everyone in my industry is talking about this, okay. the effects of it, because it, it, it attacks democracy, it attacks etc. And the other, the other thing... And, and, and the scale of the problem is massive. It is. No, it, it is, is massive, massive yeah. isn't it? And it's, and it's not over yet. You know, we, in Australia, oh. we're all sort of looking forward to the recovery. But can I tell you, I talk to my counterparts in France, in Spain, in Canada even, and they, oh, it yeah. feels to them like we're a long way away from recovery. So Australia... We've done a lot of things well in Australia, which should be very, very grateful. Uh, so the recovery is, is a bit of way off yet internationally. Um, and, you know, the other thing, interestingly, is human rights. It, it has really surfaced, and I think it is related to, to the pandemic and the, the lockdowns and the experiences of, of people around the world who perhaps were marginalised but now really feel even more marginalised and has surfaced a lot of inequality in the world and I think the reason we're seeing a lot of much more vocal um, uh, apparitions of people demanding human rights be recognised in various forms, uh, I think is something which is, is going to escalate and continue. And I, and I see it as also, this is the other thing that we need to do, is to produce and maintain records as the Government of Australia that upholds, defends and makes everybody know what their rights are and respects those rights and gives them access to justice and to their human rights and hopefully along the way address uh, inequality. He's teasing me, ladies and gentlemen. He wants, he wants another question. We could go on. We could go on, but I will resist. So, David, thank you again uh, right. for your service. Thanks for coming in on a, uh, a very wet and miserable day here in Canberra and I do hope that any, wherever you are, um, I hope you're staying dry and for those... Poor people who are dealing um, with the challenges of the floods and indeed the APS members who are working in um, in, in uh, bringing some comfort to people. Best of luck to all of you. A big thanks, as always, to you, the audience, for coming back in such big numbers. We really do appreciate your interest in Work With Purpose. So if you do see the social media promotion, a like or share never goes astray. Getting that information, moving around the system and reviews are very valued as well. So if you do have time, please drop one. Uh, buy for us. Thanks to IPA uh, for its ongoing support for Work With Purpose and also to the Australian Public Service Commission who are great supporters of the podcast and also to the team back at Content Group who helped to put the show together every fortnight. So that's it for this episode of Work With Purpose. We'll be back at the same time in a fortnight but for the moment it's bye for now. 
Work With Purpose is a production of Content Group in partnership with the Institute of Public Administration Australia and with the support of the Australian Public Service Commission. 